Well, um, one of the things that I believe is that HR is at the heart of every successful company and that we are the key to success. Our people are the keys to our success. And, you know, a lot of HR curriculum, a lot of what we teach in HR isn't very practical. Um, how it's actually done in the real world. And there's theory and then there's a application. And so one of the things I, I really wanted to do as I wasn't working full time was give back to the profession and find a way to bring the practical lessons learned. I've told everybody, I have a zone of genius and it's hindsight. Patty brings over 25 years of people leadership experience. She has worked with executives and leaders in high growth technology companies, building high performing engaged teams that drive outstanding business results. She served as chief people officer for several publicly traded companies, including leading through IPOs and significant global expansions. Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. I'm Tatiana and I'm delighted to be joined today by Patty Mani, joining us from Denver, US. Hello Patty, welcome. So good to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for your time. We appreciate it. We just mentioned earlier before we started that you're waiting for a storm to hit Denver. So hopefully you're safe and your internet connection will last. But do let us know if something happens. We can certainly <laughs> interrupt and continue another okay. time. Absolutely. Yeah. So good to have you. Patty has an amazing career that spans over 25 years in corporate world, specifically high growth and technology industry. And um, Patty just shared that she's actually retired. And then we started laughing because she's still a very, very engaged person, an amazing advocate for the profession. And I think also what is extremely valuable, she's turned into teaching. So tell us a little bit more, Patty. You've been in HR. What have you done? What have you taken away so far? And why teaching? Well, um, one of the things that I believe is that HR is at the heart of every successful company and that we are the key to success. Our people are the keys to our success. And you know, a lot of HR curriculum, a lot of what we teach in HR isn't very practical. Mm -hmm. um, how it's actually done in the real world. And there's theory and then there's a application. And so one of the things I, I really wanted to do as I wasn't working full time was give back to the profession yeah. and find a way to bring the practical lessons learned. I've told everybody, I have a zone of genius and it's hindsight. So I've learned a lot yeah. through the years. <laughs> and so being able to share that, being able to give back to people that, that are our future HR practitioners, and also still working with companies that are working to build their HR function, mm -hmm. um, really find a way for HR to um, continue the strides that we've made this past year. I mean, the HR, um, the people organization and every company has been called to step up in huge ways over the past 12 months. That's right. um, and we've gained tremendous ground, a ton of respect. Mm -hmm. People, I think, are finally getting that, oh, we have to really understand what's going on with our people, not only, you know, from what they come in and do at work, but what's going on in their lives and how do we build a workforce that can be sustainable when people have all these other things going on that they have to attend to and be part of. So I think it's it's created an opportunity for us to take a much more holistic 
approach mm -hmm. to how we manage, how we lead. Um, and we need to learn how to do that well. So but, you know, for me, teaching was a way of giving back. It's a way of influencing the future of the profession. Um, and also it keeps me fresh and with some young people too. So that's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Well, thank you. Really appreciate it. Uh, I did share earlier. I'm fascinated how little uh, I, I might be biased, and I hope I am. Um, I'm seeing a transition between academia and practicality. So really that notion of there is so much wisdom out there, but somehow it's not making it to the other side. So I'm really glad that, that you've taken on that challenge to, to help us out there. That's awesome. Now, can I add one thing there please. too? I think good universities are actually realizing that there's a gap mm -hmm. and they're looking to find people that can help them bridge that gap. Right. One of the universities I'm working with, we're pulling together a forum of a bunch of chief people officers to have a conversation with the college about what do you really need? What are the practical things that we need? And how do we actually start building that into our curriculum? So if you get asked to do something like that, anyone that's listening to that, please contribute because that's how we're going to get students that graduate with the right skills and the right knowledge and that can come into our organizations that have an impact. Great, love that. And um, you want to share the name of the university so we can tease a few others out there to take on the challenge? <laughs> this is the University of Colorado in Denver. Amazing, thank you. Well done on those folks. Now, more than 20 years of experience, high growth, technology sector, we all know of the stereotypes, how difficult it is to thrive in a tech organization, that it is fairly narrowed as to opportunities for certain people, certain groups of people, and then obviously at the, on the other side, it's extremely appealing because it is cutting edge. It is something new never done before. How would you see maybe certain patterns that have emerged over time? Are we seeing a difference maybe through the pandemic, maybe through the social unrest that we've seen over the last year? Is there anything you would say there is some good learnings we could really mm -hmm. transpose from technology to other parts of the world? Yeah, it's interesting because as a woman in technology, so I've been in the tech world since 2000, and um, I was the only woman on the exec team for many, many years. Uh, we eventually added two more women, which was fabulous, but, um, but it's lonely to be an only. And I think that's something that all of us have to recognize and that we're seeing that there's a burden when you are underrepresented within your organization. Yeah. So, um, and I think the realization that even the good organizations, you know, I've worked for some amazing organizations and we try really, really hard to do the right thing and to create an equitable environment for folks. But I think this past year has really pointed out that, that, that it's, it's, it's very lopsided if you're underrepresented and that there needs to be some additional support and help in order for you to be able to navigate uh, a pretty white world. So I think as we figure out how to do that well, um, I think there's a lot of lessons that we're going to be learning to come. I don't think we've gotten it right yet. Um, I'll also say that many people have steered clear of tech because they see it as a boys club or you know a pretty narrow place to work. And I've always encouraged people to take that shot. Um, to get into the, it, it's, it's never going to not be a boys club if we don't get more women in there. It's like, mm. you change that. 
well, more women, more underrepresented um, individuals. Because if you want the dynamics to change, we've got to be part of that change. Mm -hmm. But we also have to recognize that we can't put it on the shoulders of underrepresented people to be that change. You know, any person that's in a position of privilege um, has to be um, in the mix. They have to be leading the charge in terms of creating equity and belonging within your organization. I think many times we look to an underrepresented group and say, okay, tell us, tell us what to do. Um, and you can, you, can, yeah. you can be advised, but what you really have to do is hear the stories. You have to understand what that feels like and what it looks like. And once you do that, then you're able to start putting in programs and processes that really do start eliminating some of the inherent biases that are built into our systems, some of the inequities that actually occur when we don't even know they're occurring. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's one of the lessons that many of us have, have learned is that seeing, just seeing George, George Floyd, seeing that um, changed our perspective you know, it became very real. And so we have to see what's happening within our organizations mm -hmm. with real open eyes. We have to have those conversations with people about where they're experiencing, right. you know, any sort of um, inequities or where belonging is hard. So how do we hear those stories and then act on them? Because we've all become much more active because we've seen. So how do we continue that trend? Let's build on seeing. I think there is an important um, aspect here. We have unfortunately had to stop seeing each other physically mm -hmm. yeah. and all the other challenges around us. So we only see a fraction of people's lives today. And obviously only if they care to share because they mm -hmm. may switch off the phone, they may switch off the camera. So if we now look at equity as a core driver of hopefully you know, making it a more fair and just world, but we don't really see everybody, we cannot interact with them. Would you have some piece of advice, any thought that you've come across that really works that we can take into this new normal, whatever that means? Yeah, um, I wish I had an answer for that because it's one of my bigger concerns. Um, you and I talked a moment about this before we, we started the podcast that there is going to be jobs that can be done remotely um, easily. And people will, will want to do that to a certain degree. I think hybrid work is going to be a huge part of the future of work. Mm -hmm. So people that work from home and they work in the office, we used to you know, call it flexible scheduling or whatever. Now it's like, no, 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 no. This is just going to be how we do things. Um, yet there are other jobs where people will not be able to do that. And so it's going to create a bigger chasm between haves and have nots. Also, if you are not visible, like what is, what's going to happen if, you know, let's say half your coworkers are working in the office and half of them are not, mm -hmm. the ones that aren't, how do they get the visibility? How do they have access to the development opportunities? How do they make certain that they are seen by their leaders when they're not sitting side by side? Mm -hmm. now, I do believe that managers have gotten better at um, figuring out how people are working and who's doing a great job without having to see them mm -hmm. over this past year. It's been, you know, one of the biggest things, I think positive things that have come, that has come out of the pandemic is that 
there were many managers, even in today's age, that thought, well, if I don't see you working, you're not working, right? right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now the manager's like, well, I know they're working. I'm working. We're all working. <laughs> we have to work this way. Mm-hmm. So I think that that became um, less of a stigma or less of a problem if someone is working in that environment. My concern is that when more and more people return to the office, are those that are still working remotely, are they going to become disadvantaged in some way? Mm-hmm. So the challenge for the people function is going to be, how do we make certain that we overcome those barriers to access if people are not in the office? And I don't think we have solutions to that yet. Mm-hmm. We've gotten a lot of clues as to how to do that um, by how we've had to work through the pandemic. Right. But that was when everybody was equal. Mm-hmm. Everyone was working from there. Yeah. <laughs> and so now you're going to have a different environment. And so how do you maintain that same level of equity when you have very, very different um, styles of work? So again, I wish I could offer sound advice. What I would say is be very intentional about what you do. Pay attention and um, think thoroughly about how do we offer the right development opportunities for all? How do we make certain that we are um, providing access to experiential opportunities, which are really where a lot of growth occurs for people in terms of their careers? How do we do that for people that aren't going to be in the office? Mm. What do those look like? How do we intentionally design those types of opportunities for people? Because it will look and feel different. And, um, and hopefully we've learned those lessons this past year and we will take them into the future. Mm, love that. Thank you. If we talk now technology and all the abilities tech has by nature and then the industry that is built around those higher, faster, cheaper, whatever magnitudes, then obviously there is still an entry barrier for many. And in some cases, it is also hard to adapt the learnings from technology industry to others and just say, hey, look, we've done it. It works for us. We could scale. We could reach people around the world. We could recruit no matter where people are. Like, we don't have all these problems that you claim to have. Would you say that's very arrogant of the tech industry? Or would you say, actually, there is some truth and there are some good learnings, but other industries should maybe try to really find a way to make it theirs and to then own it? always with the idea in mind that how can we reach more people for, for more opportunities, really? Um, so two things. I, I, do, I don't necessarily find it arrogant. Mm-hmm. I find it naive at times to think that because every industry is very different. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are a manufacturing organization, you know, there are, there's technology that's going to help you, but how are you going to manufacture, let's just say a car remotely? You're not going to be able to use those same tools, those same ways of collaboration, et cetera, that a technology company, which is all, I mean, they don't, do not have to be present to work. Um, you know, so, so it's naive to think that it can be across all industries. I think there's a lot that we've learned. I mean, just think about the changes in the medical community over the past year. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of a sudden remote visits, it used to be to do teledoc was like kind of strange. Everybody's like, oh, (laughs) I'm showing the doctor my rash. I'm good, you know? Yeah. But but there's still, and although that is a huge step forward, it makes access for people that are busy at work and things like that much simpler. 
but it still, there's a time when you have to have personal care, when you're going to have to be in the hospital, where you may have to go in for a diagnostic test. So it doesn't um, get rid of the need for all of that, but it moves us forward in a way that gives more and more people access. So I think, I think there's a combination of things that we can do as organizations to be able to look at what are the tools that we can use that will create greater and greater access for all? And then where do we have barriers where we can't do that? And then how do we overcome that? What, what are the other things that you can do if it's not a technology tool? Is it a change in your internal processes? Is, is, is it a change in working schedules? Is it a change? I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can evaluate um, creating equity in those particular areas. Um, and they're not always through technology. Tech is not always the answer. I think that that's certainly you know, a good reminder. We need to keep saying this because we're also used to these devices and other devices yeah. and solutions. And it's all at our fingertips. But that's quite spoiled in a way, because as you say, there is a lot of work to be done in a human interaction, one-on-one, -on -one, the grocery store, the doctor. Pharmacy, mm -hmm. Well, and even as technology companies are grappling with, how do we ensure that we don't stifle innovation? Mm. Um, because a lot of innovation comes from interaction. Right. It's feeding off of other people's ideas. It's having that opportunity to brainstorm effectively and having a bunch of people that are thinking kind of, okay, we're thinking about this. Mm -hmm. And everybody starts scrambling around and putting their ideas out there. And all of a sudden you come up with an idea that's worthy of moving forward. And it's hard to do that over Zoom, mm -hmm. even with all the collaboration tools that we have today. So I think everyone worries that we can work, but will we be as innovative? Will we be able to fuel that next generation of growth that we're all looking for in our organizations? if we don't find stronger and stronger ways to bring about that collaboration that leads to innovation. Mm. You did mention those bright minds that you have the pleasure of working with now, working curricula, transferring knowledge from one place to another. So I guess right now it's also very virtual, but yes. do you have any plans for coming together and doing something just as a group or are you also planning to invite others and kind of you know, cross fertilize ideas and, and thoughts? Well, it's interesting when when teaching remotely, I found very difficult. Um, mainly, I had a three hour class and it's like, we may we may die. <laughs> and it's tired, you know, you're tired. So, um, but you know, you try and do more and more to build interaction into the virtual environments, you know, bringing in panelists and a different guest speaker mm -hmm. to have interactive activities to gamify things in ways that actually spark uh, ideas and make people think about things a little bit differently than they would have within the normal day-to-day. Um, -day. I think that's important. I do believe that as things open up a little bit more, mm -hmm. even for those that are going to choose to work remotely for maybe the rest of their careers, there we're going to see more and more opportunities for people to come together um, in more informal ways and formal ways. It's mm -hmm. like people say, okay, I'm going to come into the office for this particular session or, but I'll normally work from home. Mm -hmm. I think people are going to want to um, be part of their organizations right. and we'll just find new ways. But that's where I also believe we have to be super intentional um, about how we plan for those things. Mm -hmm. For 
if someone's working full-time from home and you have a last minute meeting, they can't always just pop over there. So you need to think, okay, we're gonna do a really head-banging session um, to, to see what next ideas are coming forward. And you gotta give that person some notice. What you fair, kind of? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if, if you want to bring about that sense of involving others, mm -hmm. you got to make certain that you are a little more intentional about how you do it, especially when people are working in multiple formats. I love that. And I still remember, you know, some of my uh, old days with tech companies that um, it was just normal, let's say that meeting started at a certain time. Nobody really cared like whether that's convenient or not or whether people sit in the right time zones to actually attend. It was just right. normal, it happens at the time. And I remember how long it took for somebody to speak up and say, did you actually realize this falls right into the school time? So I have to take my kid to school until I arrive back, you know, I'm all freaked out. Then the meeting starts on time, I'm not prepared. My notes, you know, coffee spilled over, whatever. I'm just a mess. And you're yeah. expecting me to be at my best, mm -hmm. I'd love to. But the truth is the circumstances don't really allow me. You're not enabling me. And now yeah. I have to compete with all the others who are freshened up. You know, they have had no drama in the morning yeah. and they are just like right there sparkling. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, how on <laughs> earth do I now make a difference? And then innovate and be competitive and then all the rest. So I think this is extremely important to remember. And I would say that the pandemic has helped shift thinking there mm -hmm. because what we did within my last company, we all shared, here are the blocks that I cannot be available because oh, nice. I have to homeschool Ooh. or I have to do this with my child. So um, everybody shared those blocks that said, I cannot be on a meeting. And then we worked to find the time that everyone could attend. I love that. <clears throat> Some, you know, daily standups used to happen at 9 a.m. every morning. Daily standups ended up happening at 2.30. Mm. Did it hurt anything? Nope. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't actually change anything in terms of productivity, but it worked for the team. Mm. And so I think every team, if they take the opportunity to really think through and understand each other's lives and what they're having to do, you can be planful about it. You can find a time yeah. when people can participate. It is interesting, though, because prior to the pandemic, we always had remote workers. There were always people that were working remote. That's right. And we would have 10 people in the conference room and two people on Zoom, right? And the poor Zoom people, they were left out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember those days, too. Yes. It's very sad. And, uh, but now, and many companies were adopting this even prior to pandemic to make it more equitable. Mm -hmm. They're just saying, we do all of our meetings via Zoom so that everyone is on an equal playing field there. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if we continue to adopt some of those things once we have some people in the office and some people working remotely. That's so much great food for thought. Thank you, for, Patty, for sharing this, because I think, as you just said, it's so obvious. We used to ignore those people on the screen. It's just like, yeah, yeah, it's just them. But and now they would try to break in. <laughs> exactly. But now it's like all of us. So that's yeah. very true. Yeah, no, I love that. Certainly lots of great stuff. And I think if I may say, I think the students and future students of the University of Colorado are very blessed to have no. people like you really giving them all of this wisdom and making it much more practical. And then obviously, you know, just inclusive as part of their yeah. learning and education. So that's awesome. Oh, Unfortunately, you. as usual, time runs so fast. 
But I'd love to leave you with one more question that we ask all our guests. If there is one thing you are most concerned or most excited about, if we talk future or future of work more specifically, what would that be? I think I'm most excited that we have been myth busters um, through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Like all the myths that we had about how people should and can or must work um, have been dispelled on so many different levels. Uh, again, it doesn't work for every job, but I, but I have seen a huge evolution in terms of how managers think about it, the freedom that that will provide for people to lead very holistic lives. I mean, I always hated the term work-life balance. Mm -hmm. You know, I always called it work-life integration. It's like, how do you make your work and I mean, your whole life, this integrated thing work for you because you've got kids, you've got a spouse or a significant other, you've got a dog, you've got, you know, whatever it is, you've got an aging parent. Mm -hmm. um, so this has provided an opportunity to allow the freedom for people to be able to manage manage their jobs in a much more flexible way mm -hmm. with higher trust from leadership and managers in their capability of doing that. So I'm most excited about that. And I'm most concerned about potential widening gaps between the haves and the have nots, mm -hmm. as we have some jobs that have this capability and others that don't. How do we maintain good access and um, a sense of belonging and all the things that are so important for job satisfaction and engagement, those things that make us want to go to work every day. How are we going to be able to maintain that and grow that, you know, as we move into new ways of working? So, you know, both my excitement, we've busted some myths and that we've got other things that we're going to have to figure out. We'll definitely not be bored, that's for sure. Yeah. Thanks so much, Patty. It's been a delight. I'm sure the audience has taken away a lot today. There is a lot of also, I think, to unpack and really make it work for everybody's world, industry, place they're at. So please, everybody, take this opportunity and hopefully you enjoyed it. Keep checking in for the next Hacking HR episodes. They're right at your fingertips. Audio, video, you can find them on all the obvious channels. Thanks so much for joining today. Thanks again, Patty. Glad to have you. Thank you. So good to spend time with you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.